Hello, and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. John, why don't you let everybody know what we got going on today? Hey, Adam, this is going to be a fantastic episode. We are joined with uh, Todd Wagner, our senior pastor. Hey, hey, good to be here. Hello, guys. And two of his many children, and uh, we've got uh, in the studio uh, Cooper, who is 22, and Kirby, who is 23. And so today we're talking about just a leader and his family. And so, guys, I think it'd be great. Let me just start with this. Like, what, what's, what was it like to be you? And so your dad was starting this church, and it was, you know, most things were up and to the right, which, incre- you know, includes a lot of demands. Uh, I don't think you probably cared too much about church growth and metrics. You probably cared about, was he a good dad? So you just let us in a little bit and just kind of talk and tell us what it was like to be you. Yeah, so this is Kirby. Um, I am uh, 23, his second oldest daughter. And um, something we actually always laugh about is people would come up to us all the time and ask us, uh, what's it like to be Todd's kid? Or what's it like to be a Wagner? What's it like to be a pastor's kid? And I honestly growing up, didn't really know what they were implying when they asked me that. Um, And now that I'm a little bit older and I actually know some pastor's kids, I know what they're talking about, but I never identified with that. And mostly because I think there's two reasons. One was because um, my dad really did feel like a dad and, and him being a pastor didn't feel any more or less unique than any of my friends having dads that were lawyers or doctors or um, just in the corporate world. Like my dad just was a teacher and, um, except he was incredibly passionate about what he did. Um, and so, yeah, that was one thing. I never felt like a pastor's kid and mostly because I never felt like that meant anything different than my dad being a dad first. And the second reason, um, is that, uh, he, was involved in something that we all felt really involved in. So the church wasn't a place that my dad went. It was a place that we always wanted to be. Like our family was involved in that mission together. Um, We were always praying for it together. We were there together on Sundays. Um, As kids, Watermark was the funnest place that we went all week. Um, That's where all our friends were. That's where we got to throw um, tape balls after we were tearing down the worship set. And that's where we got to play hide and seek in the chairs and... um, And that's like what our family was giving everything for. So it really felt like something we were all doing versus just something my dad did for a living. Yeah. And I, I I mean, I think I'm jumping in. I I don't ever think we talked about the fact that I was a pastor because I still don't think of myself uh, as a guy with a job title called pastor. I'm a follower of Christ. And what's crazy to me is that there's something attached in our society, and this is what Kirby alluded to, that if you're a pastor, job titles, kid, that your kids are going to somehow be really dysfunctional. That's maybe why I never wanted to be a pastor, okay? Um, A a verse I quote all the time talks about the fact that the righteous uh, are never forsaken. It says this, it says, I once was young and now I'm old and never have I seen the righteous forsaken. All day long he is gracious and lends and his children are a blessing. So let me just tell you, the fact that PKs is a pejorative term tells you that there's a lot of pastors that aren't righteous. And what I mean by that is they don't live rightly. And this is probably the most humbling podcast you guys have ever asked me to do with you. Because what you're saying is, Todd, in this one area of your life, we we see the fruit of you living rightly, Okay. And I want to tell you, man, there is no amount of joy or quote unquote success in the church world that would ever replace um, the the pain that I would have or, or overcome the pain that I would have if you were here 
uh, asking me to talk about what to do that, because my kid's a prodigal, because he hates God and hates me because I was absent as a dad. So man, I am so humbled and grateful to be here. There's a lot of grace that got us here. But I want to tell you, if, if you live rightly, your children are a blessing. And um, that verse in 3 John chapter you know, Third John 4, verse 4, right? I have no greater joy than to watch my children walk in the truth. My kids, and you guys need to talk about maybe why you do walk in the truth, but it is, it's been a blessing to be their dad, and there's no title greater in my life than dad. Coops, what, what, what thoughts do you have, brother? Yeah, I think just kind of, again, um, just emphasizing the fact that we, uh, the only time we did talk about us being pastor's kids was when it was emphasizing there was nothing special about that. Um, and I mean, especially like Curb said, when we grow up, that's kind of when you realize there is, uh, you know, being a pastor's kid means something to other people. I go to a small Christian university with a lot of pastor's kids and, um, I feel really blessed to have just been raised as a pastor's kid, but with uh, that not being my identity and just growing up in a house with a godly father, just like hopefully, you know, a businessman is or a lawyer is a godly father to his kids, but you don't hear them kind of going around like, I'm a lawyer's kid, you know? (laughs) And so uh, I think it was like, that's truly a blessing because I don't find my identity in being the son of Todd Wagner, pastor of Watermark Church. And so, um, that was super helpful growing up. Uh, and then also, yeah, just being owners of uh, the church and being encouraged to jump in here and not just be um, part. We, were, we got to be partakers in the ministry. And so uh, me and Kirby actually did membership class together when we were like 12 and 12 or 13 and um, have been able to and encouraged to make this our home also. And just love, again, like she said, love being here. So kind of just reemphasizing. So it's interesting when you guys talk about pastor's kids, you guys talk about the, the, uh, the expectation is dysfunction. When I hear that, what I think of is the high expectations, the burden, the pressure that would go with that. And so I don't necessarily think of the, uh, the dysfunction. So was there, was there any of that that you guys felt of going, hey, my dad is uh, really you know, the main, one of the main leaders here at this church along with the other elders, and that, that brings about some expectations on us. Yeah, so I think that um, we actually might have had slightly different experiences in that way. And, um, and so, Cooper, you can speak and give an answer. I would say that, um, that I never felt a huge microscope or burden. And one was because my parents really um, had that conversation with us that there was no expectation, but that um, they were really clear that there's joy and blessing when you walk with the Lord. And we saw that in their lives. They had us around... Uh, our recovery ministries and baptism days when we were hearing people who didn't walk in that way and we heard their stories and we witnessed the pain, we witnessed and heard and met people who um, who hadn't chosen that way. So we were really motivated by something more than keeping up an image. Like I was motivated by people's stories. I was motivated by the life that I did see in the church, the friends that I saw my parents have. Um, and and so I was excited and and motivated by the truth versus this, like, we got to keep up this perception. That's great. Um, and we did, uh, you know, I'll interject right here and then Coop, you go, because we did talk about that a lot, right? I, I, I told them, listen, I'm not going to let the church make me who I can't be, yeah. which is a guy that um, doesn't struggle. I'm still a Christian just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't get to still struggle against sin and fail and confess my authenticity. All the more for you guys as you're figuring out who Jesus is, you don't have to ever worry that a decision you make is going to affect your father's 
job, right? Uh, who you are um, is is who you're going to be. I mean, decide who you think God is. I'm going to make a case for Jesus, model for you the the goodness, but you don't ever have to worry that what you do is going to affect what I'm doing, okay? What I do affects what I'm doing, and I love you, and I want you to share in the blessing of it, but I don't want to put anything on you. Now, even despite that, and this is, I think, what you're going to allude to with Coop, because you've mentioned this maybe sometimes, you know, because... Um, I mean, I, I don't know, Coop, but I'll let you say what you were going to say, where you're going to go with that, that you, 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 you still, still grabbed some of that and, 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 and felt some of that pressure or what? Yeah, I don't think that there was, I don't think I felt any pressure from others or from you or from the family to keep up an image. I think I kept a fresh supply of sermon illustrations, uh, neg- negative ones that you could, <laughs> teaching moments. You were quite famous in your yeah, younger days. Right? Yeah. Actually, yeah. it was, it wasn't, it was really 18 on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My younger days, I had really good sermon illustrations <laughs> and then they turned south a little bit. But no, I think, um, I placed probably more pressure on myself and I loved going to the youth group and being you know, the one that people thought was the ideal image of a Christian. And probably a little bit of that was, I knew my last name immediately brought some of that and I loved that. Uh, But then also I didn't want anyone to know that with just me, I think that was just my sinful nature, my problem of just pride and wanting to keep an image and not any pressure. I never have felt pressure from like a, from a church standpoint or from a family standpoint, but I think as from a Cooper standpoint, I've been, uh, one of my short shortcomings has for sure been, I want people to think Cooper's awesome. Yeah. And so here's, what's great about that is he's a human and, and that's one of the frailties of human life where right? we get involved with people pleasing and image management. But what is encouraging to me, and even in the midst of that, I saw him struggling with that, but not because he happened to be a Wagner or a pastor's kid. Uh, because there's an idolatry with living for the praise or the perceptions of men. And it's wrapped up really in a, eventually a lack of freedom because, you know, Coop, you're always so humble when you talk about this. And when you talk about, yeah, after 18, it got kind of messy. I mean, Cooper's messiness was more related to a lack of discipline, uh, a lack of, uh, you know, leading small groups, discipling people, uh, you know, making good moral decisions in college, but not exactly feeling like he was there to do his primary job, which when you're in school, you go to class, right? So he <laughs> School he, wasn't my thing. It yeah. wasn't your thing at the time. And so it was just like, hey, man, look, I love you, and I don't feel like you got to go to college right now because you're not going to college right now, <laughs> yeah, right? You're not going anyway. So. <laughs> not on my time anyway. <laughs> that was actually Adam's fault because he was the college pastor at the <laughs> time. I was. I will so. take full responsibility for that. <laughs> That's right. Go live in a college town, yes. but we don't need to be a, a student. So it wasn't like it was the tragedy. It was, it was just like, you know, so that's what he, he was even talking about. But, you know, I, I just love that about the fact that um, I, I wanted, as we discovered that together and delved into that more and more, I was just, I said, buddy, that's, that's, let's go to war against that. And let's not tell people that you've got, you know, a desire to hide things. That's part of being human. And we can't tell them the pastor's kids you know, not fully sanctified yet. My goodness. So No, I think we we did growing up, we just kind of joked around that there was never any secrets with the Wagner family. And, you know, I always told people in a joking way that if you do something wrong at home, it'll be on on the stage on Sunday. And and that's just And I, you were well compensated for that. Five dollars. Yeah, that three, that a is a conspiracy. I've never <laughs> seen a dollar. If you if you actually 
I've received okay. compensation mostly through grace. No, <laughs> you guys, I did pay him. I do pay him. I pay him the five. I, I, I didn't negotiate with him because they were too small to care. But I would just, when they were little, I said, hey, every time I use you, when $5 is a lot, I'll give you guys $5. And so uh, what would be funny is I had to start recording it because I would get hit up six times for the same, remember when you did that? And so about 12 times on the same $5, I go, we got to start writing these things down. And then we started kidding about all that. But yeah, one of the things I never did, I never used an illustration of them that I didn't have permission to use or one that that brought shame to them, right? Um, and so I talked about it with them. Hey, can I can I use this? Now, when they're little, it's not the same thing. But as they move into that that time where their friends are in there with them, uh, I don't want to surprise them. I don't want to embarrass them. They are not illustration uh, production communities for me. They are, but that's that's not. <laughs> I, I think I hear what cheap. you're saying. I mean, it's there. only yeah. five bucks. But <laughs> this is becoming a significant line item in my budget. Is the the rights to stories from the kids, <laughs> you and uh, you have been the model. There was that I'm inc- it, it's strange to think that you haven't paid her because I've been operating under this assumption that there was there was we payment. Yes, loadings. well, I'm sure the money has been delivered at different times, but <laughs> I must have misplaced it. Come so on. Good. <laughs> uh, uh, let me let me wrap this section up, and we'll go to another one. But um, just for those leading or those leaders who are listening in right now, let me just make this point that um, uh, Adam and I are on staff. We're not the senior pastor. That's Todd's role. But uh, the senior pastor's family and the way he relates to his family really does set the tone for the rest of the church and the rest of the staff. So you have uh, two adults now who felt like they never had to be somebody they weren't uh, because of the way their dad led them, which by proxy uh, became the way we led our own children. And so it's by and large, you ask my kids, hey, do they feel any weird burden or any, did they live under the microscope? They say, no. You know, they, they, asked, they said the worst uh, it got was anytime they walked into a Bible study because of their last name, they were kind of expected to know a little more than the average uh, person. And they said, that was just good for us. That, that was like, that's all the collateral damage that I'm dealing with. And uh, and that came because of Todd. And so if you're a leader, and um, I, I just want to underscore the, the point that it's just, is as big as it is a deal uh, to lead your own family, it's even bigger than that because you're setting the tone for your whole your whole church and your whole organization. And other Literally, other kids' lives uh, are in the balance. And so this this couldn't be a more important topic. Let's just go light here. Jack, uh, go, I, I, I would say this. You really encouraged me today. We, we just had this conversation today where you walked up to me. And part of it is, you know, uh, John just wrote a great blog post on Facebook. And uh, he was just sharing a little bit about it. You just sent your oldest off to college. And you were sharing some of that story. Actually, one of the news stations here did a story about John's family. And one of the things that happened was his 18-year-old son talking about going to college said, I'm really going to miss these people. <laughs> He's talking about his siblings and his parents. And like, and, and it's like the world looks like, what kind of family has a kid who's going to college going to miss his family? And uh, it's because, you know, I, I was just affirming you. I read the blog post. I saw the story that our local news station did in Dallas. And I was really humbled. And you just said, hey, Todd, part of the reason my kids are that is because I lived in an environment and so what you, you know, that, that, that was, that modeled that kind of love and community and it allowed me to be that dad and not live in fear. And that really blessed me. And so John's word to senior leaders, listen to this, man, I'll tell you, pay attention to what he just said, what you're doing, people are following and paying the price for in ways we probably don't even know. And it was a great blessing to hear that. And so on Tuesday, Todd, when we were talking even some about the beginning of the church, you, you had a line that I thought was so great this past Tuesday in our staff meeting about one of the things that you are most encouraged about with this church. So do you remember what yeah, I'm talking so about? Yeah. We're, we're now, Watermark's 18, 19 years old. And so kids that were four to six years old when we started are now 22 to 26. Yeah. And, um, and so it was just 
uh, amazing for me to look around and see some of the families that were here on day one and my kids who want to be a part of this mission, who uh, ha- who do everything they can to draw their kids into the faith community that we're a part of because uh, they can be who they are here. They're growing. They see God using them. There's a mission and there's a purpose. There's an authenticity and a spirit of fun where those kids go, I want to be a part of this. And in fact, I shared the story of one of the guys on our staff, Jim Wimberly, who has a, a, a grandson who lives in Atlanta, Grant. And one of the things that he had to do in class one day, a secular school, right, was to draw a picture of what he wanted to be when he grew up. And that kid drew a picture of being on staff at Watermark because his grandfather was there. And he goes, that's a place that makes my grandfather better, where there's stories of life change and amazing power, uh, where God's at work. And and kids long for that. And to see not just an eight-year-old want that, but to watch my adult children and watch Kathy and Kirk's adult children, to watch, I could go through a ton of them, uh, that are now on our staff and that are leading and that are using all their relational capital to invite their friends to come and be a part of this thing. I am more grateful for that than anything else. Because when you see your kids uh, want to invest where you've spent your life, that certainly means they're not bitter at it. And it also might suggest that they see it worth investing in. Which would be, you know, those that are listening right now, young families, starting churches, you and your leadership team, what a goal to write down, to say what we want in 20 years is we want our kids to love this place. And if you keep that up there as a goal and start to make decisions based on that, I think you're going to end up leading the church in the right direction, which we've seen the fruit of that uh, here for so many years. So, I, And there was I think, a line, Kirby, uh, you, you kind of just alluded to it. But another guy on staff, when I said that, raised his hand and said, hey, I asked, because you know he's a young father. Yeah. And he asked, he said, you, know, you, hey, what was it like growing up in, in, in your home? And what you basically said, I wrote it down. You said, well, I'll tell you what it was like. Uh, it was a blessing because I have experienced more joy and I have less scars. And uh, that little pithy way of describing what it's like to grow up in the home of somebody who loves Jesus, okay, as opposed to a PK, I just go, man... If, if I, that's what I want to be. I want to be a, I want to be a, a man who, because I am who Christ wants me to be, I become a life-giving spirit, not an overbearing manager of reputation. That's great. Yeah. And I think, uh, what I would add to that is that growing up and even now, like there's something about what we're doing here and not that it's about Watermark, but just about the church that's being the church that is so adventurous and um, such like a a risk that was so attractive to me as a little kid that I was involved in something that was so much bigger than myself that my peers had no category for. The fact that the church wasn't just the place that I wanted to hang out and wasn't just the place that my best friends were. It was a place that I was highly investing at a super young age and giving my life away and being raised up in leadership and knowledge of something. I mean, like there was something about just the celebration, the excitement, the like the risk that we were taking as a family to go all in here that made it even more attractive. Like there was like nothing more uh, like adventurous than going all in as a family yeah, for the gonna, same thing. And I'm going to even grab those words because I, I know why we use them, but just you said the words place in here, which, which you really mean. People. People, uh, right. yeah. You know, there's, there was a people there that we were going all in with, and the here was in the community that we were in, uh, loving our lost friends, inviting yeah. them into our home, uh, engaging with them. And for us, it was public schools. Yeah. You, you know, and just saying, hey, I, I want to live for Christ, and yeah. I want to be a part of this people in this city who gather together and walk with Christ together. Mm-hmm. Your dad coached 
Well, let, let's just go there. I'm going to force your hand, Todd. I mean, you'd be bragging maybe if you brought it up. So I just know this information. I'm going to pull it out of you. So you're about to go do a talk on uh, <laughs> to the YMCA. And so they were trying to do the math on how many teams you coached. And if I said you coached a lot of teams, people might think they know what I mean, but I don't think they know <laughs> what I mean. How many How many teams did you coach to the best of your knowledge as you started this church? When I say uh, teams, I mean of your kids. You always coached your kids' teams, everyone that you could. How, what's the number there? So in the city of Dallas, they have a, a, a Thursday breakfast once a year where they do a leadership symposium with business leaders in the community, and they asked me to speak at this year. And they just called yesterday, and uh, and they said, hey, how many? can Todd tell us how many Y teams he coached? And so I went back and looked, because I've got all the rosters you know, from all the emails and different ones of those. So between soccer, t-ball, um, basketball, football, flag football, okay, volleyball and baseball aren't even included. Those are other sports, okay, that I coach. But just at the Y, what do you guys think the number is over those over those years? I guess because I know now. Uh. Fifty-six. Okay, not a bad guess. Sixty-nine. No way. Yeah, sixty-nine. <laughs> but that's teams. not it. But that's probably like that doesn't include like chamber or any of the right. organizations. Yeah, that doesn't include eighteen baseball seasons that I can think about between you and Cade and Camp. And so it would have been more, but Camp and Cade just aren't that athletic. So <laughs> <laughs> shots fired to the you had, that's, siblings that's that are not here. here. Take shots at your little <laughs> yeah. siblings. Uh, so yeah, so that's the mid. That's eighty-seven. Eighty. I'm yeah. the CPA yeah. around the table. That nice. is eighty-seven. We have one CPA. We've just <laughs> yeah. This just confirmed, 87 at yeah. least. I bet it's more than that. Yeah, well, yeah. that and I, I mean, again, we don't think about some of the sundry other stuff, but yeah, that was, the, so just baseball on those other ones, and then, you know, there's other things that we did together. But I just determined, John, that that was going to be one of the ways that I was present. And with my kids, I when I walk around their schools, you know, in, in junior high, people would go, oh, Pastor Wagner. I never was called that, ever. It was always, hey, coach, or, you know, uh, hey, Mr. Wagner, because they got to know me. I was my kid's dad. I wasn't this this secluded guy in the community. Yeah. And I, I coached him, and I loved him, and I knew their friends, and I knew their families because I was present. I knew the demands of my job. If I wasn't coaching, and, I, and listen, I love sports, all right? I played them my whole life. My kids loved them. And I knew that if I wasn't coaching, I would roll in late to every game. Uh, I wouldn't probably be there to pick up or drop off. And so as a, just a matter of discipline, I just I just said I was going to coach him. And it was an amazing, amazing joy. So I, I, there was a lot of time we spent together to and from and all that coop. Yeah, and that wasn't that wasn't assistant coaching. That was you were there, head coach, start of practice, end of practice, yeah. coaching, like actually coaching the whole time. And that's one of my some of my favorite memories in going to Omaha for uh, Little League World Series, or I guess the College World Series, and then playing in a tournament there. Yeah, and just different different opportunities that you coaching brought us to build relationship. When I talk about parenting, I'll do this quick because I want you guys to say this. I'm going to try and back way off after this. But the the number one rule of parenting, you must be present to win. And so you've got to find out, okay? Uh, I've got you know, four Ps. You know, have a plan. In other words, it doesn't happen by accidents. Weed grow, weeds grow naturally. Gardens take work. So have some plan, okay? You know, have a plan. Be present. In other words, you can't garden and tend to that which you're not actually there. And then thirdly, I tell folks all the time, um, be a parent. Don't try and be a friend. Your, your kids need parents. They don't need a pastor who's managing perception. They don't need a buddy who needs validation. They need a parent. Be a father. Be a mother. And the last one, and this is the most important one, right, is that make sure that you passionately follow Christ. 
because there's no way you'll do all those other things. Let me, uh, the, the verse that comes to mind is at the very end of the Old Testament where there's nothing but judgment and chaos, it, the Old Testament ends with, hey, there's going to be a day when I'm going to restore the hearts of fathers to their children. Okay, what's amazing to me is how many guys are pastors and they're not modeling the fulfillment of the prophetic prophecy of what the gospel is supposed to bring. And there's so many pastors whose heart is really for their ministry and for their church and not for their children. And, uh, and so this to me is the greatest thing that I could do because if I don't do well here, well, I shouldn't be an elder. I shouldn't be a pastor. Yeah. Okay, but... That's awesome. Just real quick... I- I don't want to get stuck on a loop here, but again, you model leader uh, for the rest of your church, not just your staff, but really for the rest of your church, what this looks like. And so, um, you know, did you go on mission trips? Did you do other things? Yes. But everybody on this church knew that you were involved with your kids' lives. And uh, I never felt raising my children here. I never felt uh, some weird condemnation if I left 30 minutes late or early to go, um, you know, coach a kid's game or go to ministry. And that would, that's the phrase that pays right there. Todd was always really, really clear. He would ask us about our ministry and we'd want to go through the the latest meeting and the latest, you know, sermon. And he would just look at us dumbfounded. He goes, no, I'm asking about your family. How is your ministry? And uh, that was, that wasn't something we had to do in addition to serve on your staff. That that was the table stakes. Like that was a non-negotiable. And my kids don't know who to think. I know who to think. Uh, and and so this is a big deal for you, for your kids, for your staff, and really for your uh, entire congregation. So, Coops? Yeah, I think just hearing those four Ps, two that really pop with me and are present, and we've talked about that with just sports teams, especially with me growing up playing basketball, football, baseball for a long time, uh, and him being present. And then once I got to the age where he couldn't coach, he was still in the, in the stands and uh, coaching after the game. And talking through it and encouraging when I sat the bench the whole game. Uh, and so it's not just, I mean, if you're not good at sports, that doesn't mean you're, you're out of the question. Good, like still him just being there once I was passed into high school uh, just meant the world. Um, and, and I noticed when he wasn't there, you know, when he goes on a trip or is with mom or has meeting that is random, which was very few times, but you notice. And uh, and so the present piece was huge. And then um, also parent, I was trying to remember it. Uh, parent, I think growing up just in the neighborhood, we did a lot of kids that um, I went to high school with. It seemed like got away with so much more than we did uh, and little things. Um, you know, we, even, even to the level of we had to clean our own room. That's ridiculous. We're, <laughs> you know, and like... That, I mean, that seems silly, but in the... Just, well, look, so we have six kids, right? Your yeah. mom never had a nanny yeah. and never had a maid. Right. Right? And We're, in our neighborhood, that's uncommon. <laughs> it is uncommon. Yeah. And so we, I mean, just growing up with little responsibilities like that, uh, that seemed just horrific at the time. Uh, and then <laughs> in fourth grade, when all the friends are getting razors and flip phones, you know, it's like, no, you don't need a phone yet. You don't need a phone yet. In high school, are you kidding me? I still don't have an iPhone. I still don't have an iPhone. And then, uh, you know, just parenting and being okay with us being the kids that are different and there being a reason behind that. And uh, looking back and seeing how, you know, those little things built into me to not have such an entitled attitude or such a, you know, I was just... The things that I thought were horrible were really just parenting that I that were uncommon 
things like all my parents' friends wanted to be the friend and uh, and they were and the kids had it seemed like they had great relationships but those kids don't respect their parents anymore and they um, they're completely chasing what they want because that's what they've always gotten. Love it, brother. Love it. Um, so when I think of one word to describe uh, your family, it is fun, uh, which is not I, – I wouldn't imagine that's, that's kind of the uh, traditional adjective to describe most uh, PKs and uh, pastors' families. But that's for, as an outsider looking in, I think you know, Adam would say the same thing. Everybody that knows you guys. And it's just fun to be at the Wagner house. And um, you guys have any – favorite stories or memories or uh, give people kind of a, a sense of what that was like to be uh, in your home? A really fun memory that I have, which I feel like I have a thousand versions of this story, um, but it was Thanksgiving. We had a ton of people over. Um, in addition to our family, our immediate family, some staff who I guess had out of town family, but, um, and so they came over. We all had a big dinner and then we played a game. I think it had dice in it and maybe a few cards, but I don't remember what the game was. But it's some variation of this thing we have around here called Farkle, which is a separate story. Yes. Okay, so we're sitting around this table, and if you look, get out, you either have to drink uh, a raw egg or a tablespoon of Tabasco sauce. And I think I was like 12 or 13. And I'm like, no, nobody else in my life has ever had this kind of experience, which makes it that much more fun. Like all my other ki- friends are probably watching TV or. Well, there was a, yeah, there was a, there was consequences that you didn't want to lose. And when you, and you lost, if you wanted to buy back in, you first had to swallow a raw egg. Yeah. And then if you lost again and you want to stay in, you had to take a shot of Tabasco. Mm-hmm. And then if you lost again, that was it. There was no more buy-ins. Yeah. Right? Was this before or after the Tabasco incident here <laughs> at Watermark on staff? Yeah, I know. That's right. But I, I would say this, Adam, I, I'm avoiding the question. But, <laughs> okay. uh, but, uh, but what I would tell you is that was part of the plan. Part of the plan was to go, hey, listen, being together as a family, you know, it, it, ought to be, it ought to be the happiest place on earth. And so that means we do things to make memories. We, we forge experiences together. And, and so we do. We, we, I, I, would, I would tell you, it didn't just happen by accident. I spent time thinking, if my kids are going to be with me tonight, when they're done being with me, once they get over, they're not going to go do what their friends are going to do. Are they going to lay in bed and go, that was amazing? And, they, and when their kids yes. are all talking about the stories, what they did this weekend, you know, if it comes to them and go, what'd you guys do? Are they going to go, oh, my dad made me stay home? Or are they going to say, well, you're not going to believe it? Okay, what really was cool is when they got older and they started to go, hey, if we're going to do a family night, can I invite? 50 friends. <laughs> my friends. And the next thing you know, their high school friends, you know, instead of being out doing some pretty destructive stuff, wanted to come be with my family and us. And that's when I go, okay, we're having some fun here. And this is a, a safe place for everyone. A lot of those kids never came to Watermark, still haven't visited, but they were around our family and saw something different. Yeah. And I need to just finish the story because the best part is that my mom lost and <laughs> she is not the like um, outgoing adventurous side like my dad is, which he magically never loses. But my mom lost and she went all in, which just made it so, so much fun. Yeah, she played right along with you and watching your parents laugh, take risks and do silly, stupid stuff. Right it is uh, kids go, man, they're ju- they are. They're just like me. They love to have a good time and I don't have to feel guilty when I'm done having a good time. Well, let's finish this. Is this the pool? Yes, this oh, is this is a pool I story. Tell the story. Uh, oh, come on, I think that was a different night, but but there was. Well, you, I mean, do you really want to hear the story? Absolutely, yeah, of course. All right, we'll do it very quickly as I can. But uh, it was the the one night. Okay, there was a neighbor that uh, just had moved in next to us, and had just in, upon moving in had also built a pool. We had met him, but didn't know him. 
actually had invited them to Watermark, you know, and I think they were thinking they were going to come, maybe had visited a few times. But anyway, it's it's whatever night it was, about 10 o'clock at night. And this was this was a Thanksgiving night. It might have been a different one than Tabasco night, but who knows? Go ahead, Kirby. What are you going to no, say? No, no, I'm just going to heckle you, but keep going. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> a, this particular night, Alex lost, and the loser had to go over and knock on our neighbor's door after 10 o'clock. You know, they're still up having their Thanksgiving time. And and when they answer the door, without really any conversation, you have to say, what's the pool record? And then the person on the other end, we go, what are you even talking about? Say, you guys have a pool, right? What's the record for up and back? And of course, they don't have a pool record because they just built the pool. It's winter. No one's been in it. And so she said, I like. I used to swim when I was in high school. I'd like to set the pool record. So whoever lost had to do this. My wife, who is not a big draw attention to yourself person, they've got all their family inside and relatives right? And they go, you want to do what? He goes, I'd just like to set your pool records, swim up and back, see how fast I can do it. They and want- will you time me? Yeah. And so make some time them. So they're standing there, has to do the Michael Phelps get loose thing at the edge of the pool. And then the, the funny thing is when you dove in, you had to swim violently poorly. You know, like both arms slap on the ground, take your breath by lifting your head all the way out of the water, you know, and then swim down, <laughs> touch the other side and make it clear that if you swam in high school, you went to a really poor performing swimming high school. And, and then when you get down to the other end and you touch the side, you had to just come up and go, what was my time? What was my time? What was my time? And no matter what they said, raise your hands in victory. Go, yes. And then just walk out the back gate back into our house without really ever conversing. Did you mention she never changed into a swimsuit? Oh, yes. Fully clothed. And, and meanwhile, we're all up in our, our house in about every window that looked down into our neighbor's house, you know, five heads packing every window, looking down, laughing hysterically. And so we would do stuff like that. And there's... How many stories like that? Our poor neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With lots of stories like that where people would just go, what's it going to be tonight? And we'd come with these consequences and just have a great time. Coop, anything? It was fun. <laughs> so here's here's why I wanted to pull that out. Um, so I don't know if I've shared this with you, Todd, but I asked David Pinuel. This is probably – David was our junior high pastor at the time. Uh, and this is about 12 years ago. I said, David, give me a common characteristic of all the kids that leave Watermark – and are walking with Jesus, you know, in college and out. And so he thought about it for a second as if it was the first time he thought about it. And he said, you know what? All of those families are really fun. And I just thought, that is the craziest answer I have ever heard. And uh, and I, I don't believe it. So, But I remembered it. I logged it. And I asked him several years later, kind of on the spot, knowing he wouldn't remember. And he did the same kind of move. He stared off to the left and he thought, and he, he's kind of doing the math and, and looking for patterns. He goes, you know what? All of those families are really fun. And the pastoral work uh, sometimes is not fun. And so to come home and then bring fun, whatever it looks like, that the you know the situation that Todd just explained might be like you know the worst idea that might bring palpitations uh, on. And so don't <laughs> don't do that. Do yeah. you whatever that is, that's right. uh, whatever's fun. Um, but I think that's right. So fun oftentimes brings people together. So I think really what he was saying in a roundabout way was that they were really really tight and families that are tight and they love each other and they they go through and do the hard work to make memories. Uh, those kids kind of latch on to their parents' faith and they want to stay uh, close to that. And uh, and that that's really marked me. Uh, fun doesn't come <laughs> nearly as easy as it. For me, as it does for you, Todd, you wake up in that gear, and I've got to find it and uh, you know schedule it. Um, but uh, that I, I do think David's right, and I think it's uh, both a cause and an effect of a really tight family. And there's just, there should be joy, right, in our homes. It is a it is a, a mark and a fruit of the spirit, and that it should if it should happen anywhere, it should be in a leader's home. Yeah, and I think just 
hearing David's answer, it makes total sense because when we go to college, we, you know, when I, I joined a fraternity and I go and hear just kind of how other pledge brothers were raised and, uh, hearing, you know, what, you know, whatever their dads did on and on and on, but just hearing the brokenness in the places where they're coming from and they're looking for an escape. They're looking for something fun. And, uh, and they find that they think they find that in alcohol or in girls or in a fraternity or whatever it is. Um, but I mean, the, the most fun I had in the fraternity was that a lot of those guys thought I was crazy for a completely different reason. Cause I had more fun than them was dancing crazier and was, you know, hiking, which is why I wasn't in class, you know, I, I, whatever I was doing, I was and, having more fun than them and they were shocked by it. And, and they also knew a lot of them knew my dad was a pastor and, and they were just confused, but I wasn't looking for fun cause I know where it was found. Hmm. Yeah. It's good. So you, you really miss class to hike? And camp and oh, okay. Okay. anything like outdoors. There's yeah. so many uh, of like a thousand a reasons to miss class. Hiking would be so far down on my list. Yeah. And well, a, a just a, for any pastors out there who might let their kid have a scooter their freshman year of college, just don't let them have it. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> enough, enough said. So he had a scooter. Now he has scars. Uh, there we so go. So you guys talk about a little bit. Uh, I know you guys had lots of spiritual conversations and uh, uh, you know, kind of the discipleship moments. So talk about that in your home. And I assume you guys it, uh, just sat there, arms raised, like, dad, just teach us. We love sitting under your teaching. And like, we can't believe we get a, you know, bonus round with you. That, that's what it was like. A whiteboard so, in, in the living room was like always there for him to write so on. This so this is actually one of my favorite things to talk about because people really do have this perception, even still, I meet some people and they know my dad is Todd. And they're like, what, what's it like? And I'm like, well, you should meet my mom. She's incredible. I always, <laughs> I always feel kind of bad because people always ask about him, but she's the secret sauce. Um, but, uh, I think the biggest thing when I look back, I don't really remember the content of a lot of things that we talked about as far as family devotionals go. Um, but I do remember that even, I, I do remember that often we were in conflict or often someone didn't want to be there or often someone was just getting out of trouble, but it still was a priority for our family and it was something that no matter what, no matter our attitudes, no matter the schedule we were going to do. And it wasn't this like um, ritualistic thing. Like every morning we sit down, nobody touch your food. Like it was often I was telling them like while I was buttering a toasted Pop-Tart that my dad was reading from Proverbs. And, and so I still don't have a cat word <laughs> for that, like butter on your Pop-Tarts. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I understand you, thing, have Adam. Icing, you have to eat them icing side down, which is sounds brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah. But I, I just uh, never heard that. Your weird quirk? Okay. I was. I mean, I just made it. Discipleship. And takes it to the next level. You toast it, just get a little brown on the edges. <laughs> Makes an unhealthy treat even more dangerous to your heart. <laughs> so if you got nothing out of this podcast, go buy a <laughs> slab butter bo- Pop-Tarts. box of Pop-Tarts and have at it. That's but, my fifth P. Yeah. <laughs> Pop-Tarts buttered. <laughs> I just have this one memory where we were at um, a family camp together and it was already a week that was saturated with a ton of teaching time, a ton of, you know, kids time, worship, all that. And our family was still sitting down together and having quiet times. And I remember there was nothing I wanted more than to go um, swim in the lazy river. But it was this moment where I knew I was disappointed. I think one of my siblings and I were actually had just gotten in a fight or something. We worked through that and we just were like, it's a beautiful day and we're here to play, but this matters so much more to our family than anything else. And so, um, I really learned that principle that like, this was the most important thing. Um, and, and we prioritize that as a family. 
Yeah, and I and that it wasn't just. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of the memories I have of sitting down as a family are on like little family getaways or you know wherever we are where we just have time. Very specifically, where the family's all together in mornings before, if we're in Colorado before a hike or if we're at family camp before we go get in the lazy river, whatever it is. Those are a lot of the ones that pop. Uh, but just the, also the more consistent you know, at dinner, you, you know, my dad says uh, this all the time when he's teaching is we ate a lot of food that was cold. And, uh, and that was just because we would slow down. And if there was conflict, we would work through it and, uh, just taking seriously family and, and working through it and making sure we're all on the same page and same team. Um, and, and that I think will just reap, I mean, huge benefit to me and Kirby as we start families and have kids, uh, just to, to work through things and also just invest because I know most of my friends and even a lot of the kids I know who are PKs have no concept of sitting down with their family and talking through conflict or talking through, you know, a Bible verse or whatever it is. And so, and then the last memory I have very clearly is whether it is during breakfast or on the way to school, um, dad would, dad or mom really would, would drive us to school. Uh, and sometimes we'd carpool different years. And so if we would have a bunch of friends in the car, uh, or not, it was, there were some days where it was just us, but every single day we would take a proverb of the day and just start reading through it. And, and he had to fight for that because it was Cooper in the backseat, like, just reading like that, and he's like, "Dibs under the bus." No, I'm, no, I'm Cooper. Oh, I'm Cooper. Yeah, yeah. under the bus. Yeah, I threw me under the bus. Yes, yeah, nice it's to meet you. Been here the whole episode. Camp. They all start with C's. But, uh, but I mean, just seriously, just the apathy that we would, all of us, really, but I just remember me specifically would always just struggle to read, so where other people could hear it, and just like being patient. Hey, Cooper, will you read verse one again? Will you read it louder? And then stopping. Hey, what does that mean? Asking my friends. Hey, what does that mean? Yeah, I think just perseverance. And I'll tell you the best devotionals. First of all, it wasn't like this perfect thing where kids sat down for 30 minutes with their journals open, taking notes. I mean, I, I would just tell you, I am a big fan of imperfect family devotionals where you just do the best you can. We had kids that were Five of them were seven years apart in total, and then another one came four years later. So at one point, we had 11-year variance. And so you can't do the same devotional with a 14-year-old girl you can with a three-year-old boy. So you had to be mindful of that. But what you want to do is make sure that you're not stopping doing a family devotional and going back to being an ogre, right? The greatest family devotional you do is by living a devoted life of Christ in front of your family. That's Deuteronomy 6. But there's lots of times where the devotional would happen. Go, hey, guys, let's just stop and talk about that. What do you think just happened? Okay, or we'd watch movies and shows, I'd stop it. i go, okay, let's spot the lie. What'd you just see? Is that true? What's the scripture say about that? Or we would play a game. We would play a game called Let Me Illustrate. And, and I would, like on road trips. And so I would just do stuff like, uh, okay, somebody come up with a, a spiritual truth related to an HOV lane, right? And then, you know, they would maybe, who knows what they would do, but like I would just say, hey, somebody turn to Ecclesiastes 4, right? Two are better than one. Man, when you're in, when you're together, you get to travel in this land. That's a lot like in life, right? And so if one falls, another can help him up, okay? Um, or, or really, that's what the church is. It's two or three gathered in his name. And, and when you have community and other like-minded people that you're traveling with, life is richer, okay? Or, or like, um, you know, we'd be flying by an airport. I go, give me a spiritual illustration of an airport. Just, and, and, and this is an example, okay? You know, I say, hey, there's lots of planes going lots of different directions, but only one will get you where you want to go at any given time. And so we just play those games, and I would talk about, hey, Jesus is like that. There's one way. There's one truth. And, um, and so I, would, I wouldn't do it all the time. And some of those devotions would last a minute, 
right? Yeah. And then we'd move on and go back to the next thing. But Yeah, I think I would just say too, something that I always remember that goes hand in hand with those times is the energy around it was always celebration. It was never like, this is what God's word says. So, you know, it wasn't ever like, um, sometimes we were disciplined, obviously, and the word was used um, as a guide, as a reason why we were being disciplined. But um, when it came to what we were talking about as a family, it was always just this energy of excitement and joy. And like the Bible stories we were celebrating and we couldn't believe. And, um, and, and then with stories of life change that were happening at the church, we would celebrate that together as a family over dinner. And, um, and there was always just this, can you believe that this happened? Or can you believe that God is like this? And so even when our attitudes were like, oh my gosh, dad, can we please just put in, you know, uh, the movie already? Like we don't want to listen to Ecclesiastes four again, you know, just like this, this guys, there's something here that's going to change your life. If you understand it, that was always the energy attached to what we were doing. There were some movies though. After we watched, after we finished Ecclesiastes, he'd put in like Ken Ham's evolution videos, and you don't want to do that. Don't put in. Don't go back to back. Give create a little space. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. I will say though that there was like some reward attached to faithfulness. So like we would endure these Ken Ham videos. No offense, Ken. Um, is he living? Yes, he's alive. Okay. That was maybe more offensive than you throwing his films under the bus. Okay. Yeah. You don't even know well, if he's alive. <laughs> so we would watch these evolution videos or these microbiology defend your faith videos, which honestly, now I'm like, the fact that I'm articulate in that is such a gift to me. Well, the fact that when you were a freshman in high school, you sat with the leaders of the curriculum at the high school and in the district and sat and made a case while you're asking them to teach and, you, and we got the law and you sat down and me present, not speaking, you made a case for teaching intelligent design as uh, as acceptable and qualified a scientific theory as what they were putting forward with Darwinism and how the law requires they teach it. And here's some textbooks. And, and Kirby made a rational defense, right, yeah. for, for design, okay, uh, in front of the— in- in front of the administrators of the school because of some of those videos. Right? And I would have done that, but Kirby was just two years yeah. older. So. <laughs> but um, just that, like, as a family, our parents, like, always when we would memorize a verse or learn something or share something with our family, it was always met with um, with celebration and reward. And so we knew that, um, that, like, faithfulness, not only in our personal lives, in a relationship with the Lord, in a way that we maybe couldn't un- have understood at that time, was going to reap benefit but as like um, kind of like vessels of that, you and mom would really bless us when um, like faithfulness was either demonstrated in our life or we would memorize something or um, take some initiative on our own in our faith. That was always really celebrated. You know, one of the things that we did, I mean, this is not so much a parenting thing, but one of the things I, I will just say this, it's a pastor because we're talking about a pastor and his family or a, a, a spiritual Christian leader and his family. I... I I want to tell you, I didn't want my kids to see me doing a job. I wanted to see my kids pursuing Jesus. That was, the, again, that fourth P, that you passionately pursue Christ. I would give these guys surveys where I would write down a bunch of questions. I would say, hey, what's your favorite thing we did together this last year? Um, you know, if you could do one date with your dad, what would it be? Uh, what's your your, your um, favorite memory as a family? What's one thing you know you're going to want to do with your kids? I, I would change the – I would change – you know, eight of the 12 questions every time, but one question that was always on there, it's the whole reason I really did the survey, was what is your dad most passionate about? What is your mom most passionate about? And if they put down schoolwork 
or his reputation or um, his speaking schedule or a book or uh, his car or college football. If, if they said any of that stuff, I knew I was not living before them the way I wanted to live before them. And if I didn't see them put down, hey, he is passionate about God and his goodness and the grace uh, that comes with walking with him, then I knew I wasn't De- living a life of spiritual devotion before them, Kirby. Yeah. And I would just say that I think you, mom, like routinely still ask us questions. Hey, what could we have done better? Or what can we do better now? Or, you know, what was one thing we did that set you up well? And it just gave me as a kid a chance to articulate, like, I love when you tell me you're proud of me. And I love when you tell me why, which feels obvious. But when I give that answer, it just is like reminding them or, or, you know, it's reminding them that, like, I might need to hear that more in a certain season of life. But it also just gave me the opportunity to, like, have a conversation that a lot of kids probably aren't having with their parents. Well, John, this is a good time, and Adam, to stick in this. Because I think one of the best ways a parent can lead their children, because right now, this has sounded pretty up and to the right, if you're still listening. Like, the Wagner family had some sanctified grace, like the glorified family were not. And I will just tell you that one of the best ways a parent can lead their children is by confessing ways in any given moment they led poorly and asking for forgiveness, right? And so we have stories where I did that too. Yes. <laughs> they both <laughs> they fought over the mic. <laughs> but go ahead and talk. I mean, because I, I mean, that was one of the ways I decided my kids going, hey, what you just saw your dad do, that spike of anger, right? That whatever it was, man, I need your forgiveness. Do you want us to tell stories? Yeah, go or? ahead, no. man. I mean, you look really eager <laughs> I, right there. I remember kids. after one year, um, we kind of came up with this thing where whenever my dad, like whenever, you know, he was like acting in a way that maybe like wasn't his best, we would ask, is he in you? Like the Gatorade symbol at the time or logo at the time was, is it in you? And we would just, it was like a safe way for us to 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 lovingly admonish him when we were four and five, 10, 12 years old. Um, yeah, because it, that came out of a family devotional we did. Yeah, right. Which was we were, we had a Gatorade and it said, "Is it in you?" And we were t- I was trying to teach him what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Right now, Gatorade's a little bit of a bad example because you got to drink it to get it. You don't. And the Holy Spirit's always all there. The question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but how much does the Holy Spirit have you? And I talked about, hey guys, when love, joy, peace, patience, those things aren't theirs because we're not being controlled by the Spirit of God that's within us. And so we started using a phrase like, "Hey man, is he in you?" Right now, are you being in the way that way that Gatorade makes you, you know, supposedly from their marketing stronger for competition? Jesus and His presence and yielding to the presence of Christ in us is what allows us to be His people. So they did. They would look, and every now and then, I mean, just a simple way for a kid to say to Dad, "Hey, Dad, is He in you?" Right now, are you being controlled by Christ or frustration or angst or, or, or you know, whatever it is with us. So yeah. And I think too, just that we would have these family meetings where we would come together and. You know, if, if one of us had something going on in our life that either we needed to confess or that like our mom and dad were really working with us on, we would share that with our family, with our siblings, and we would pray for each other. And I remember two or three specifically in my mind where one of us was sharing something more on the sensitive side. And just like the fact that we would invite each other into that as siblings and that we first saw that modeled by our parents, like my dad in those moments owning his mistakes made me as a little girl, I was like... I, I want those moments where I can be that humble or like there was something about that that was so respectable that it made me want to do the same thing. I remember hearing that, uh, Kathy McJunkin, when the McJunkins kids, when one of them came on staff and 
I think it was Johnny Hawkins said, Kathy, you know, you have such great kids. What did you do? And I remember she's kind of felt put on the spot a little bit and was a little like, oh, golly. And, uh, and that was, she said, she kind of did the one thing that I feel like Kirk and I did really, really well was that when we messed up, we owned it. And I remember sitting there and just going, okay, I can do that. I can do that. Like, that doesn't matter. You don't have to be creative to do that. You don't have to be the fun person to do that. You don't have to be a theologian to do that. You don't have to know your Bible backwards and forwards to do that. And so that is something that I want to make sure every parent hears that's listening to this, that you can own your stuff and ask forgiveness and model that aspect of being a follower of Christ. It's such a big deal. Um, So people would ask me what it was like to be a pastor's kid or to be Todd's daughter. And I remember like at 13, giving an answer to one of my friends. And I, I said, it is such a privilege to have a dad who um, loves Jesus and is not just going to church, but is giving his life to something that um, is changing the world. And, um, and that's all that I had. I didn't, I, him being a pastor really didn't have anything to do with that. It was an incredible privilege to have a dad that was so different than a lot of the ones that I knew that was all in, um, as a dad, but as a follower of Jesus too. Brother, do you have any last thoughts? Just that there is a ton of grace in parenting. And I, uh, you know, but that doesn't mean that your plan should be, I'm going to be irresponsible, not tend to my kids, and grace will show up. So listen, God has been very kind to me. I, I know better parents than me who have had a different experience with their kids. But I did pray for them, and I did repent before them, and I did plead with them to know the kindness and goodness of God, not because it was my job. I'm just telling you, I, I, this is, none of us want to do this. If you're in ministry for a job, we always kid, right? If you do this for the money, you don't have the brains for the job. If you do this for the job, they can't pay you enough money. Okay. You know, we do this because uh, I think we know that God is good and we're trying to respond. We want to share that with others. And if you're not living that out before your family, then I just don't believe that you really have yet understood. The scriptures are really clear. This is what Jesus does. He turns the hearts of fathers back towards their children. And um, there is no pain like the pain of a godless child. And there is no greater joy than watching your children walk in the truth. I tell people all the time, no man will ever rise above the opinion of his children. And so whatever is said of me or thought of me by Twitter followers or uh, congregants, if these folks don't love me and see Christ in me, then I have failed. And um, I'm humbled and grateful for the grace that these guys have extended me. I've loved being their dad. I love being their adult uh, co-laborer and still their father, but their relationship obviously has changed where it moves down to a counselor role and a friend role. They honor me by saying, Dad, I want to always hear your counsel. And the fact that they want to hear my counsel, I, I'll just say this. The reason that so many parents have a hard time with teenagers is because they have not built any relationship or trust with their teenagers. They basically have abandoned them when they were little. And then the kid, when he gets some independence, starts to kind of fly off the rails and dad shows back up. And, and they're like, well, who are you, man? You know, get out of my room, right? You've taught me how to live for 13, 15 years without your input. So don't expect me to want your input now. I just didn't want to make that mistake. And so I was present. I had a plan to be present. I had a plan to make it fun. I had a plan to make Jesus the hero in God's way, the ancient path that was the path of life, the good way. And um, I was going to be their dad. And my wife, my great wife, was going to be a great mom. And we were committed to loving each other. I think the one thing we didn't talk about that we probably should have was the— Mom. Well, not just mom, but the security that comes from you guys growing up in a home where the covenant commitment is not just a said one, where you see us 
be together. And we didn't talk about how many, you know, there was one night a week we were never with you guys because I was on a date with your mom mm-hmm. every week. And, um, and so anyway, John, Adam, and, uh, you know, it's just a, it's humbling to get to celebrate with these two and with our family, the grace of God's way. It is the good way. Lots to think about. Let's go through this list one last time real quick. I, I wrote all these down. I think we have seven Ps here. I think this is good. So <laughs> we added grown. some more. Yeah, we added some more. So you have a plan, be present, be a parent, passionately follow Christ, persevere. That's what you talked about with during devotionals to pray and buttered Pop-Tarts. <laughs> it's a Pop-Tarts the butter. If we're gonna yeah, yeah Pop-Tarts butter. I'm sorry. <laughs> that may be... That may be the, the game changer for it is. families all across <laughs> oh, America. Yeah. You go. Kellogg's will thank us. Great. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, if you have any questions or comments on today's episode, please feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at clp at watermark.org. Also, be sure to check out our show notes for links to other helpful resources. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you again next time.